Awesome. Hey, uh, this morning I want to talk to us, uh, in December we're going to be focusing on, on this idea of gift. Essentially around the, the notion that Jesus is our gift, right? You know, and there's a whole lot of, um, you know, sayings that you'll hear throughout Christmas time that, that people love to say, right? Like, Jesus is a reason for the season, and the greatest present is Jesus. I don't know if that's one, but it, there's something like it, right? But, but there's like, there's, there's the, you know, the Christmas sayings. Anyone know the Christmas sayings? You know, especially the like, yeah. But, but the thing is, is that Christmas is about Jesus, and because it comes around once a year and because we always focus on Jesus at this time of year, sometimes it can kind of come off as a little bit done, right? A little bit old hat. You know, we always talk about Jesus and how he's a gift to us at Christmas time, which, yeah, we do. But maybe there's something going on here that we're missing. And so what I want to talk to us to, uh, about today is this idea of gift, that Jesus is a gift to us, but, but more than that, this idea of a, a gift that I think that Jesus has given us, right? So to start off, um, we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 55, and we're going to read from verses 8 to 13. I'll be reading in the message translation, uh, and we'll also put it up on the screen. And I'm just going to read that, uh, then we'll pray, and then I'll kind of, I'll fill you in on what I'm thinking for this morning. Very cool? Nice. Right, we got that up on the screen. I don't see anyone on the AV computer, so we probably don't. Um, that's all right. I'll, I'll read it along, and, um, and you can read along with me. It's uh, Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 to 13, message translation. This is uh, God speaking through Isaiah. It says this, I don't think the way you think. The way you work isn't the way I work. For as the skies soar high above the earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work. And the way I think is beyond the way that you think. Just as the rain and snow descend from the skies and don't go back until they've watered the earth, doing their work of making things grow and blossom, producing seed for farmers and food for the hungry. So the, the, will the words that come out of my mouth not come back empty-handed. They'll do the work I sent them to do. They'll complete the assignment I gave them. So you'll go out in joy. You'll be led into a whole and complete life. The mountains and hills will lead the parade, bursting with song. All the trees of the forest will join the procession, exuberant with applause. No more thistles, but giant sequoias. No more thorn bushes, but stately pines. Monuments to me, to God. Living and lasting evidence of God. Why don't you bow your heads with me and, and, and let's pray. God, I thank you for, for December, God, for this, this month of the year where we take this time to, to remember who you are and what you've done for us, God. God, that the sacrifice and the, the gift it was for you to come to earth and to, to live as a man amongst us, God. God, that, that you would see us as worthy of giving a gift that we could never, ever earn and never repay. God, and this morning as we're here in this place, God, gathered together as your people, I pray that you would speak to us, God. God, we know that you've always got something to say, and so this morning, right in this space, we just choose to lean in and listen. Let us know what it is you're saying to us. Let us leave different than when we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. So for the past month, we've been focusing on, on the theme of Thanksgiving, right? Who was here last Sunday? It was an awesome Sunday. I want to encourage you if, you, if you weren't here, jump on our SoundCloud and have a listen. We had uh, three amazing women share just incredible uh, insights into what Thanksgiving means to them, right? And, and, and at the same time as we've been doing this, this theme of Thanksgiving, the thought that's really been on, on my heart for, for next year and, and kind of for the season that we're stepping into and, and talking to, to Jordan, the, the thought that's kind of on his heart is this idea of uh, us, us as a church and individually getting a word from God. 
that, that as a church, we wouldn't just be um, kind of following someone else's insight. We wouldn't just be following what someone else feels, but that we individually would also get a word from God. The, the, the idea that, that, that I've had really is that, that our church would be full of initiatives, right? That our church would be full of initiatives and plans and dreams, and that every initiative would have a heart behind it. That everything we do would have someone behind it who is passionate about seeing that change. Who, who, who says, man, I need to see this happen in Wellington or this happen in Equipus Church or just this happen in my group of friends and family. And so I'm going to champion this change. I'm going to bring something of, of heaven to earth. right? And, and, and so we've been in this space, and, and I think these two ideas are linked. Right? We've been in the space of thanksgiving, on, on focusing on, on who God is and, and what it is that we're thankful of him for, right? Over this past month, we've been focusing on thanksgiving, and I think we've also been inadvertently preparing ourselves to hear from God, right? As, as we've been being thankful, we've been preparing our hearts to hear what it is that God wants to say to us. See, so as we step into the series of gift, as we focus on, on Christmas and the gift of Jesus, I want to talk this morning about the gift of our imaginations, because here's the thing, God wants to speak to us, right? I firmly believe God wants to give us dreams. God wants to give us a word. And the way that he's going to do that is by dropping something into our imaginations, by dropping something into our minds, into our hearts, that we start to dream dreams, that we start to, to see futures, that we start to have something in us rise up, right? The, the gift from God that allows us to dream dreams is, is our imagination. So this morning, if you're taking notes, I've titled the sermon, Gift Imagination. Because in Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah is talking about what's in our head. Because here's the thing, right? We can be strong spiritually, but if we're weak psychologically, if we're weak in our minds, we end up living less than we're called to. We have a mandate from God. We have a spiritual mandate. But we as people get in the way of that if we don't have what's in our mind not blocking. See, I don't know about you, but, but all too often the problem is in my head. Right, today I want to talk about thoughts because often in life, your situation where you are will reflect your disposition, the way that you act. Right, we end up somewhere and we wonder how we got there, but realistically, if we look back at it, we can realize we behaved our way into where we got to. Who here remembers report cards, right? You know, at school, I don't know if they do report cards anymore. They might just do like, everyone gets an A, I don't know, no. Of course, they still measure and uh, grade people appropriately, but I remember report cards. Right. And specifically, I remember that little section, you know, you get all your, your grades and stuff on your report cards, and then you get the teacher's comments, right? Does anyone remember teacher's comments? And one of the comments that always seemed to repeat for me was Jonathan, that's my full name, Jonathan is a, is a great student, a delight to have in the class, but uh, he could do with focusing a little bit more. Often his head is in the clouds, Right, because when you're trying to learn maths, your imagination isn't really helpful. Right, when you're trying to learn the, the complexities of the English language and how to properly use grammar, which was something that I used when I was about 24, right, I finally learned that. But it's not really helpful to be gazing out the window, imagining people running along the clouds, right? It's not really helpful to be drawing stick figures in your notebooks when you're meant to be taking notes. But at the same time, imagination is something important. Right? Having an imagination is, is a good thing. It's interesting. As people, we seem to love to compare retrospectively. Right? We, we, we seem to, to love to, to look back and say, oh, back then it was different and, and better. I've heard a lot of people say that, 
that as a result of modern technology, people have lost their imaginations. Right, like, oh, back in the day, you know, we used to play with sticks as swords, and, and it was a wonderful imagination. And, and now kids these days, they play with the computer games, and on the computer games, they got the swords, so they don't need to imagine the swords on the computer games. Right, which is interesting, but, but nowadays kids might not play so much in the, in the sand pit, but I think it still takes the same amount of imagination to, to build a world on, on say, Minecraft, right? It's not, it's not a worse imagination, it's just different. It's just been put into a, a different place. I don't think as, as people our imaginations are getting weaker, but what I do know is that as people we need to guard our imaginations. See, our imaginations aren't getting weaker, but your imagination is under attack. Right? If your imagination is where you dream from, if your imagination is where God can put dreams into your heart, can give you an insight into the future, can, can give you plans, then the devil is going to want to capture your imagination. He's going to want to co-opt it. He's going to want to pervert your purpose. The devil wants to capture your imagination and kill your dreams. Because if you don't dream anything, then you're not going to do anything for God. See, the reason I think we need to hear this message today is because for many of us, our imagination has, has been misappropriated. It's an interesting thought to think that worry and worship can come from the same part of us, right? The same part of me that I use to worship God is the part of me that I can engage to, to worry about my life. The same part of me that I can use to, man, my mind can't comprehend, but I just want to take a moment and, and think about how amazing you are, God, to let my imagination run wild, just attempting to comprehend who you are and the plans you have in store for me. That same part of me can be the part of me that runs wild with anxiety, saying, God, I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm, I'm worried. I, I, God, I can't dream the dreams that you have for me. I can't, I can't attempt to, to fit in my mind who you are. I can't stand in wonder of you, God, because I'm really busy worrying. See, your imagination will yield your highest achievement or your greatest despair. See, the main goal of the devil is to try and, and, and neutralize you, right? To pervert your imagination and cultivate anxiety. The same imagination that gives you the power to dream up creativity can also create chaos. Anticipation and anxiety can be two sides of the same coin. Right? Our imagination is the springboard that God has given us for effectiveness and success. He's created in us the capability to dream so that we might expand what we consider possible. And because of this, we have to learn to master our imaginations. Right, God says in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, I don't think the way you think, the way you work isn't the way I work. Which leads us to the question, how? Right? How do we take this amazing gift that we've been given of our imaginations and use it the way that God has intended? How do we think the way that God thinks? How do we take control of what, of, over what is in our heads so that we can dream big dreams? Right, this morning I have three ideas. Turn to your neighbor and say three. Three, nice. I got three ideas, three things that we can do, three things that we can use, three things that we need to know of to reclaim our imaginations, right? To, to treasure our imaginations as the gift that they are. My first point this morning on how to care for our imaginations so that we can dream the dream God wants to give us is point number one. We need to change our level, right? In, in Isaiah, God says, for as the sky soars above, high above the earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work, and the way I think is beyond the way you think. See, I don't know about you, but, but I can find it all too easy to think thoughts that in reality are at a low level, 
right? We, we, we talked a couple of weeks ago about, about this, this idea, this type of thinking that's summed up in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, where, where Paul writes, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. See, when we have dark and confused minds, we end up looking at something and only seeing the bad. Right? We end up looking at a situation and thinking, there's no way that I can get out of this. There's, there's nothing I can do to get past this. This is where I am for the rest of my life. That was my chance and I blew it. Right? And as a result, we have this, this utter feeling of hopelessness because our thinking is reactionary and short-term. If, if we look at this from a, a neuropsychological point of view, we would say that those type of thoughts are not engaging our prefrontal cortex, right? That the part of our brain that, that we use to, to plan and to reason and to think complex thoughts, right? And, and instead, what's happening is, is we're thinking with our amygdala, right? We're essentially thinking with our emotions, and so we're ruled by how we feel in that moment. Right, we're co-opted, we're taken over. We need to elevate the way we think from the moment to complex reasoning, right? Not because our brains are amazing, although they are, but because God gave us that ability for a reason. Right, see, so here's the thing. Like Amanda said last week, we need to be thankful to Jesus for who he is. Right, and as we're thankful to Jesus for who he is, he can tell us who we are. Emma echoed this in, in, in that the more we experience thanksgiving, the more frequently we feel thankful, the more intense the feeling of thankfulness becomes. And as a result, we feel more thankful for more things. Right? What is this doing? It's changing the level at which we think. Paul says in his letter to the church in Colossae, in, in, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 2, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Jesus, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around in Christ. That's where the action is. See things from His perspective. See, often in life we need to stop asking what to do. And we need to start asking God how we should think. See, if we think the way that God thinks, we'll learn what God wants us to do, right? God says, set your mind on things above. And here's the thing, if we don't decide, things will be decided for us. If we don't decide how we're going to think, then our thoughts will decide for us. But we can decide because it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, that we can capture rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ, Right, so ask yourself this this morning, is the way that I'm thinking God's way of thinking, or is it just another non-productive thought? Maybe turn to your neighbor, as I'm going to take off my jacket because I got too hot, and say, is the way I'm thinking God's way of thinking, or is it another non-productive thought? Fascinating question. Tickles, I only, is, is there an answer? Which leads me to my second point this morning. What a segue. On, on how to care for our imagination so that we can dream the dreams that God wants to give us. If you're taking notes, point number two is we need to stop the negative cycles. See that this portion of Scripture in Isaiah is, is written to the Israelite people telling them that there are plans for them, that they use their imagination to dream with God. But the, the Hebrew people in this moment have been taken over by the Babylonians, and, and before that they'd been taken over by the Assyrians, right? 
Because all of Isaiah is written around this idea of cycles, that, that things come and things go, of, of kings rising and of kings falling, of, of Israel being this mighty tree that is cut down and then the stump is scorched, but from the, the scorched stump rises a holy seed, right? The, the cutting and the growing, the kings rising and the kings falling. It's all written around these ideas of, of cycles. It's this beautiful piece of, of Hebrew poetry speaking of Jesus coming. But also it speaks of why Jesus is coming. Right, to, to break this repeated cycle of turning to God and then away from God. The, the, the biblical narrative is, is essentially a story of God interrupting our negative cycles, right? Can I take you through a, a journey really quick of, of the biblical narrative, right? Is that all right? Turn to your neighbor and say, you ready? We're going to do some Bible. Bible. Awesome. Awesome. So, so it starts like this, right? Let's start in the book of Judges. Right, the, the, the book of Judges begins with the death of Joshua. Joshua, we know, we know Joshua, right? Took over from, from we know Joshua, right? He, he took over, he's leading the Israelite people. He leads them into the promised land. And it basically tells the story of, of, of Israel's total failure, right? It, it's an it's a interesting book. It's a pretty harrowing book. The, the book's name comes from the type of leaders that Israel had in this time, right? Judges don't think like in a, in a court, but before they had, had kings, they, they, they had these powerful judges that governed the, the tribes, that they were like uh, regional, political, and, and military leaders, more like a, a tribal chieftain of all of the tribes of Israel. And, and one would rise up, and they would kind of lead Israel for a while, and then they would go back down. And, and the progression here shows how Israel leaders go from, from pretty good to, to, to kind of okay, to bad, to worse, Right? And the opening section starts with the tribes of Israel in their territories, in the promised land. And, and while Joshua has defeated some of the key Canaanite towns, there's still a lot of land to be taken. And a lot of Canaanites were the enemy living in those areas. And so chapter 1 gives a list of all the Canaanite groups and towns that Israel just failed to drive out from the land. And it's important to know that the whole reason that they're being told to drive the Canaanites out of the land is to avoid the moral corruption that comes of living next to the Canaanites, right? And we're like, oh, that's a bit, that's a bit harsh. The key moral corruption was the practice of child sacrifice, right? And so God says, this is my promised land. You are my people. You will not be co-opted. You will not be distracted by these people who are doing wrong, who are doing horrible things. You need to drive them out of your land so that you can focus on me. Right? So chapter 2 describes Israel just moving in alongside the child-killing Canaanites. Right? They just move on right along next to them, and they end up adopting all of their cultural and religious practices. So the opposite of what God wanted. And it's here that the story stops, and for nearly a whole chapter, the narrator gives us an overview of everything that's about to happen in the body of the book. The narrator says that Israel's history was a series of cycles moving in a downward spiral, right? And so Israel became like the Canaanites. They started to, to sin against God. So, so God would allow them to be captured, to be conquered and oppressed by the Canaanites, and eventually the Israelites would see their error in their ways, and they would repent, right? So God would raise up a deliverer or a judge from amongst Israel who would defeat the enemy and bring back an era of peace. But eventually, Israel would sin again, and it would start all over, right? A, a cycle. 
And, and these cycles provide the, the literary design and the flow for the next section of the book, and it gets repeated for six of the main judges whose stories are told here, right? The first three judges are Othniel, Ehud, and Deborah, and, and either the judge themselves or the people with the judge just kind of rise up, and they defeat the enemies and deliver the people of Israel. It's just kind of a, they're pretty standard, epic stories, but quite short. The, the next three stories are the stories that are really interesting. Right, that they kind of go in a little bit further. They they focus in on the character flaws of the judge, which get increasingly worse. Right, first of all, we have Gideon. Right, he he begins pretty well. He's a coward, but you know, I wouldn't say that I'm not. So I'm not going to judge him for that. So we have Gideon, and we all know Gideon. He gets raised up by God. He sees actually, God, you can do something about it the situation. Actually, God, you can deliver us from our enemies. So he raises up this army, and, and they drive out the Canaanites with, with just uh, torches of, of, yeah, torches covered in clay pots, and they smash them, and they, they drive out the, sorry, the Midianites out of the land. But then, and this is the bit, we love that story, right? We're like, raise up Gideon's mighty men. It's going to be amazing. They drive out the land, and then we close the Bible, and we're like, right, done for today. On to my next encouraging story tomorrow. But, but after Gideon drives out the, the bad guys, he gets really mad. And he's like, hey, you lot, you weren't with me when we were fighting the Midianites. So guess what? You die. And, and he puts a whole bunch of Israelites who weren't with him to death, right? And, and he made an idol from the gold that he got in his battles against the Midianites. And he makes this idol. And, and, and after he dies, all of Israel stops worshiping God and they start worshiping this golden idol that Gideon made. And the cycle begins again. The, the next judge is a man named Jephthah, who's, who's kind of interesting. He's basically a mafia thug, right? He lives up in the hills of, of, of the province at the time, and he's really good at killing people. And, and so the, the Israelite elders are like, hey, we're in a lot of trouble. Let's go to Jephthah. And they see him, and they're like, hey, can you help us? He's like, sure thing I can. I love killing people. It's what I do all the time. So he goes to war for them, right? And, and, and he's, he's amazing. He, he wins a whole lot of tactical victories, but he's so unfamiliar with God that in one of his battles, he says, God, if you help me in this battle, I'll sacrifice my daughter to you. See, he's fallen so far away from God. He doesn't know the God of Israel that he doesn't know his heart. He doesn't know that this God is not a Canaanite God. This God does not demand your child's sacrifice. This God is a God who spares the child. And this story shows how far Israel has fallen that they no longer know the character of their own God, which leads to murder and false worship, and the cycle begins again. The last judge is Samson. And Samson is probably the, the, the harshest of them all because he starts with such promise. But he has no regard for the God of Israel. He's no regard for God. He's promiscuous and violent and arrogant. And he, and he does win these brutally strategic victories over the Philistines, but only at the expense of his own integrity. And his life ends in a violent rush of murder. And so the cycle begins again. And, and, and the last section of the book of Judges shows Israel as a whole hitting bottom. There's, there's these two tragic stories, and, and, and they're structured around this key line that gets repeated four times at the close of the book. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Right? It's built around this idea of cycles of destruction and the hope that a king will fix it. Man, these judges are rising up, but these judges are failing us. We need a king. And we know that Israel gets a king, but again, we see these cycles. The king comes, and, and Saul's not so great, but then David's pretty good. And, and then it goes on and on and on, and the kings progressively get worse and worse. So we have one good king, but then that king dies, and it goes back to going 
down the cycle. A king didn't fix anything. And this all culminates in Isaiah, right? Isaiah's at the end of this whole process. And, and he's, he's looking back on, on, on the history of Israel, and he's saying this isn't working. Us following a, a judge or a king or a person, we're, we're going the wrong way. Our cycles are hurting us. And so the book of Isaiah is a mix of these prophetic poems and, and historic accounts of what's happening. Right? And, and so Isaiah predicts that the Assyrian army would come and attack Israel. And so the king at the time, Hezekiah, he humbles himself before God and he prays for divine deliverance and the city is miraculously saved overnight, right, up. But, but then Hezekiah's rise is immediately followed by his fall and so the cycle continues, right? Hezekiah is worried, what happens if they come back again? And so he invites the Babylonians over. He says, hey, come on over. Look at what we've got. Look at our temple. Look at our, our, our lands. Look at our storehouse filled with gold. You, you want to be allies with us. We're amazing. Right? And Isaiah hears about this, and he, he confronts Hezekiah. He's like, this is not going to work out well. The Babylonians will come back, and they will carry the Israelites into slavery. But we're told that, that Isaiah was rejected by Israel's leaders, that, that he, he, as a result of being rejected, because they didn't believe what he was saying, he writes down a whole bunch of prophecies, and he seals them up in a scroll. And he passes it on to his disciples and says, when what I've said already comes true, open the scroll and, and read it to the Israelites. Open the scroll and, and read it. And, 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 and he dies waiting for God to vindicate his words. Right? He says the Babylonians are going to come and they're going to take us away. And he dies before it happens. Because it's not until 150 years later that Babylon turns on Israel. Right? And, and they turn on Israel and they come and they destroy the city of Jerusalem. They destroy the temple. And they carry the Israelites away to exile in Babylon. And so, so here the Israelites are and they're in slavery in Babylon and they open Isaiah's second half of his messages, right? 150 years later. And they read Isaiah writing to them of his hopes that Israel will begin to share with the nations who God really is. But that's not what's happening, right? The Israelites instead of bearing witness to the nations are complaining and even accusing God. They say, they say that God doesn't pay attention to our troubles. In fact, he's ignoring our calls. The, 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 the Babylonian exile caused the Israelites to lose faith in God and to, in fact, say that maybe the God of Babylon is greater than our God. So God raised up Persia to conquer Babylon. Do you see these cycles going again and again and again? And so finally, the, the Israelites have been delivered from Babylon by the Persian king. And, and here they are. You'd think that, that finally they would they would say, man, we can see God's hand at work and we'll become God's servants once more. We'll, we'll tell the nations who he is. But instead we find that Israel is still as rebellious and as hard-hearted as their ancestors. And so the cycle continues, right? Judge to judge, king to king, enslaving nation to enslaving nation. In every situation, Israel turned from God and to something else, to something less, See, this is the weight and the understanding behind what Isaiah is writing in chapter 55. Right? It's, it's human nature to view problems as merely circumstantial. To have something happening in our lives, something that we, we recognize as a roadblock in, in us currently getting from where we are to where we know we want to be. And we look at that problem and we say, oh, I wonder how that got there. I wonder how that problem arrived in my life. Right? What a crazy set of circumstances that brought this thing here to me. And I'm not saying that you bought onto yourself the problems that are in your life. I'm not saying that you earned them or deserved them or that you placed them in. Some things happen to us and it's just not fair. But there are cycles in our life that, that determine how we respond to the problems in front of us. 
See, Isaiah tells us to understand how ways and thoughts are related, that, that every behavior in your life is tied to a belief system, that that in itself is a cycle. And we try to fix our circumstances, but God says, I want to break the reoccurring cycles in your life, whatever that bitter or negative thing is that's in your head. Right? Science tells us that, that when we behave, Neurons in our brain form, uh, establish pathways to understanding, right? So, so that certain ways of thinking become more ingrained, like, like roads in our mind. And, and so what that means is that when we come to think a thought, some of the roads in our mind are more readily available to be traveled than others. Before we know it, because we've thought a certain way so many times before, when something happens to us, automatically our brain goes a certain way. And we don't feel like we're thinking that thought. We don't feel like we've decided to feel that way. But there's a pathway in our mind. There's a rut that's been grooved in, and we just fall into it and just end up there. Right? And see, this is what Isaiah is talking about. This is what God is speaking to the Israelite people in this verse because they're at the end of a, a generation after generation after generation cycle of ingraining certain ways into their mind, of ingraining certain behaviors into who they are. See, many events in our life that, that keep on repeating themselves are only changed by changing the cycle, are only changed by, by rewiring our brain, by creating new pathways. Right, otherwise, we end up having another relationship that for some reason seems to turn out just like the other relationship that we didn't like, that we stopped. And we're like, why did my, I just keep on meeting horrible people. All of my relationships turn out the same. All of my bosses are lousy. All of my financial things just keep on falling apart all by themselves. Well, why do these cycles keep on happening to me? I must be, um, man, something's on me. And, and there are spirits of oppression. Definitely, and we want to pray through them and make sure that they're not on you. But at the same time, sometimes a spirit ends up ingraining a cycle of thinking and thoughts on us, and we end up behaving as if we're under a spirit when we're not any longer. Right? We've been delivered, but we're behaving like someone who hasn't. Because we've fallen into the trap of letting the cycles, the, the ingraining pathways become who we are. See, maybe the, the, we need to start by realizing that God's ways are higher than our ways. That, that we as a people are innately predisposed to falling into negative cycles. So how do we stop these negative cycles? If we realize that we're just like the Israelites, that we go from judge to judge, from king to king, from enslaving nation to enslaving nation, that the scenery changes, but the story seems to stay the same. I just keep on getting hurt by people in this way. I just keep on letting myself down in this way. I keep on self-sabotaging in this way. Why is it that these things seem to keep on repeating in my life? Maybe there's a cycle in your life that's become ingrained that we need to break. See, this leads me to my third and final point. Maybe just as I get, um, as I get some of the band up, we'll, get, we'll do Jack and Putty. Yeah, that'll be a good combo. But point number three on how to care for our imagination so that we can dream the dreams God wants to give us, is we need Jesus. See, Isaiah concludes after all of this evidence of why we need to break our negative cycles by talking about God's plan. This is how the book of Isaiah finishes. And God talks about, through Isaiah, how he's going to break the cycle. And he's going to break the cycle by sending a figure who's called in the book of Isaiah God's servant. And, and that the servant is going to be 
going to fulfill God's mission and do what Israel has failed to do by being rejected and beaten and ultimately killed by his own people. Isaiah speaks of of God's servant dying on behalf of the sin of his own people. And the prophet says that the servant's death is a sacrifice of atonement for the people's evil and rebellion. And then after his death in the the prophecies in Isaiah, all of a sudden the servant is is alive again. And we hear that, that, that by his death, he provided a way to make people righteous. Right? It's, it's this section of how God will redeem the world that our scripture, that chapter 55 is in. This chapter specifically is God inviting us to come and partake of his redemption. Right, it's disgust, man. The God's servant is going to come and he's going to do this. He's going to deliver us. He's going to bring redemption. And then God is saying, because my servant has bought redemption, this is what you need to do. See, here's the crux of today. If you remember nothing else, know this. To care for our imagination so that we can dream the dreams that God wants to give us, we need to see things from God's level. We need to stop. We need to identify and begin stopping the negative cycles in our life. And we need Jesus, because Jesus came to interrupt our cycle of sin. Jesus came to interrupt our our cycle of following false gods to wrong places, but he also came to interrupt our cycles of negative thoughts and behavior. The negative cycles in our life have been interrupted by Jesus, so we no longer need to be in the cycle of the judges coming to God and turning away, or the kings failing to their own nature. We have been made new creations in Jesus. We're not at the mercy of those negative cycles. Right, and in the past month, in, in being thankful, we have developed new pathways in our brain. Or at least we've started. We've started seeing things from a different way. We've started changing the way that our mind thinks. And so the first thing we need to realize is just because November is over, we don't stop. Every day we need to be looking for something to be thankful for, teaching our mind, no, this is the way that we think. I am a Christian. I am remade in Christ, and my mind behaves in this way. I don't look for the negative first. I look for the positive. I know that there are things wrong with the world. I know that there are things that are hard, but I'm not going to see them and only see them. I'm going to see the positive things that God is doing. When someone says that this is going wrong, I'm going to say, yeah, it's going wrong, and we're going to fix it, but this is going right, and God is moving here. And so since God is doing something here, surely he's the God that can do something here see we've started but we need to not stop we're primed and ready to hear from God we've created a space in our mind where we say God this is where you can come in where I am thankful where I am looking for what you are doing and when we create space for him and when we listen God's word causes us to grow and blossom God's Word feeds us. God wants to replace the thistles in our life with giant sequoias, to replace the thorn bushes with stately pines, right? To replace the things that are in our life that are difficult and prickly with things that are strong and dependable. And here's the, here's the, the whole point of it, is that God's Word does not return void. It comes like a rain or a snow. And maybe this morning you're feeling dried out. Maybe this morning you're, you're feeling tired and God wants you to go out in joy, led into a whole and complete life. And the how is simple. It's Jesus. Jesus is the servant of God come to transform us. This is what the Bible means when it says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. 
So this morning, I want to do three things. The first thing is, is as we've been talking, we've been talking about this God who comes to interrupt our cycles. This God who comes to transform our lives. This God who comes to change the way that we think. And maybe you've been sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know this God. This God isn't my God. I don't have anyone to turn to to help me to to change the way that I think. I don't have anyone to turn to to help me to change the way that I feel about myself, to help me to, to reform the pathways in my mind. It's just me. If you're honest with yourself, in life, you're your God. Just as everyone closes their eyes and bows their heads. This morning, if you're here and you know that's you, that currently you're God, that you're the one in control of making things work, that that you keep the the sun and the sky and and the stars, that you keep the earth turning, that it's on you, that it's your responsibility. This morning I have good news. It doesn't have to be. There is a God who died for you so that He could be your God, so that nothing could separate you and Him, so that your sin could be thrown as far as the east is from the west. And this morning, if you're here and you know you don't have a relationship with that God, but you want one, just as everyone's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just want you to let me know that, that you want to make that decision, that you want to pray a prayer with me. But just right now in this moment, as everyone's eyes are closed, just raising your hands, let me know this is you. This is your moment. This is your prayer. Awesome. I see that hand. Thank you. Is anyone else here this morning who says, that's me, I, I need this God. I need a God who can, who can be relied on, who can be depended on, who, who can come through for me when I can't, who can be my friend and my comforter, who can give me dreams beyond me. Just one more time, if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand now and let me know you're praying this prayer with us. Awesome. Hey, church, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Dear God, thank you for loving me I'm sorry for following other things today I choose to follow you I love you be my Lord be my God in Jesus name Amen see here's the second thing I want to do just as the band comes up there's in a minute that the band's going to play a song you've heard it before We, we sang it last week it's that song beautiful name right but but as they're singing that I, I want us to do one of two things the first thing is you might be here this morning and you know you want a word from God you know that that, that there's a, a space in your heart that a dream could be planted that currently there's nothing currently if you think about the things that you want to change in the world or your family or your workplace or yourself you don't see anything you don't have any dreams there's nothing that comes to you If you want a word from God, God wants to give it to you. Sometimes we just need to create the space. So the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to sing this song. And as we're singing the song, that the name of Jesus is powerful. Right? We're saved by the blood of Jesus. The name of Jesus carries an authority. And so as we sing out the song, as we speak to ourselves of how powerful Jesus' name is, I believe that that some of us are going to get a word just then and there. Just God's going to drop something into us. This is what I have for you. This is what your dream is. This is the place that I want to take you to. But that, that, that might not happen for you, and that's fine. It happens in different ways and different moments for different people. So the other thing we're going to do is we're just going to open up this altar. And so as the band sings the song, if you feel like, no, I, I, I need prayer. I need someone to stand with me and believe with me 
that I can dream a dream, that God has a word for me, then, then I want you to come forward and we just want to pray for you. We want to pray with you, that, that we'll stand with you and we'll say, God, we know you've got a word for this person. Let's, let's have it now. Give them a dream. Help them to dream dreams. But the, the other thing is, is, we were talking about those, those cycles, right? The negative cycles that we're in. And, and I want you to know, as a church, we are here for you. And that means a whole lot of different things. That means that if you feel that you are currently under a spirit of oppression, if you feel that there's just something getting in the way of you and God, there's something between you, that we want to stand with you and pray with you and deliver you from that. We want to say that, that you're not under the power of anything but God, that your God is bigger and stronger and greater than anything that might come against you. So if that's you, if you know that, that you need that as well, again, the altar is going to be open. I want everyone here, right? that we can come forward and say, I think that there's something getting in the way. It's like God's trying to speak to me through a wall and I'm hearing something, but it's muffled. I can't get the specifics. I can't get the thing. I just know that God wants to speak to me and I'm not hearing it. Again, you can come forward and we can pray that there would be nothing in the way and that God would give you a word. But the final thing is, is you might, you might be delivered. You might know that there's nothing on you or you might come forward and get prayed for and then know that there's nothing on you. But in your life, you've still got ingrained negative ways of behaving. Right, what happens when you're free, but you act like you're not? And, and, and so we go from freedom and we walk out in freedom and we behave the way that we've always behaved right back into bondage. Right, we walk out free, but we just behave our way right back into, hey, there we go. Now I'm under the same thing I was under because I behaved the same way that I behaved. Right, what happens then? And, and so we want to stand with you as a church. And that's why it's important to be in an e-group. That's why it's important to be connected. Find someone that you can talk to. If you can't talk to anyone else, come and talk to me. If you've got an ingrained negative behavior, a negative cycle in your life that you know you need to stop, let's talk about it because we as a church want to stand with you. And sometimes that takes starting a journey and week on, week out, just talking about where we're going and how we're getting better. Is that all right? Very cool. Right, so if you want a word from God, just you can stay where you are. But if you want to get prayed for, for something in the way, being just gone, or, or just God bringing you a word, then the altar is open. The band's going to sing. Let's do some business with God. Is it all right? Very cool.